0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology. With me, Tjasha Zaitz. The focus of the show in this December is to bring you inspirational stories from people in healthcare and digital health. We'll start with a personal story of a nurse who's a military veteran. Today, immersed in the cybersecurity space. Marilyn Harris was deployed in the Gulf War and honorably discharged from the U.S. Army in 1992. She then pursued a master's degree in psychiatric mental health nursing, worked as a sales rep for pharmaceutical companies, and then dove into healthcare IT and later in the cybersecurity space. In this episode... She talks about how does it feel to work in a war and the consequences a deployment has on a person, how can we as a society improve the attitude towards mental health and coping, why are nurses perfect cybersecurity experts, and also what are some of the basic cybersecurity practices everyone should know. Enjoy the show. And to browse through other episodes as well, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. If you enjoy what you hear, deliver a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast so other people can find the show as well. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. Now let's hear what Marilyn had to say in our short discussion. Marilyn, let's start with 1992. You were honorably discharged from the U.S. Army after serving uh, as a nurse in the Gulf War, right? Yes. Uh, So tell me a little bit about before and during that war and we can then move. What happened next? I have to go back a little further
1: than 1992. In uh, 19... 95 I moved to Houston, Texas from North Carolina where I started college but I joined the army because I didn't have enough money to finish college. And so the army offered educational assistance. I joined the army, I served in the army the reserves as a medic and an x-ray tech. The army actually sponsored me to go to nursing school. My first nursing school program which was just a one year nursing certificate called a licensed vocational nurse. So I was a licensed vocational nurse by 1992. I had what? I graduated in 87. So I had at least four years of experience in hospitals and clinics. I worked at a jail. I I worked within the military. And unfortunately, while I was in school, getting a bachelor's degree in nursing to be a registered nurse, I was deployed to the Middle East, I was sent to war while I was in school with just a year to finish. So when I got back, it was 1991, and I was different, um, to say the least, from having gone to war. I was deployed as an individual. I didn't go with the unit of people that I had been working with for several years. I was sent and attached to people I did not know because of my job. They needed nurses, and I was called. It was uh, not the best experience going to war. I'm sure most people would say it's not the best experience, but the good news is I made it through it. I came back to college and finished my bachelor's degree in 1992, and I decided to go work in an emergency room in 1992. At a major cancer hospital, really, exactly. Do you see how you thought when I said that? I was not thinking rationally. I was just so used to being stimulated. And I didn't even realize it at that time. I worked in that emergency room on and off for five years. I immediately pursued my master's in nursing. But for some reason, I decided to pursue Adult health and psychiatric mental health nursing, which was not my strongest subject in my undergraduate program, but it was something I was very interested in. So I spent from ninety two till ninety seven pursuing my master's, and I did uh, graduate in ninety seven. And I was working in psychiatric mental health nursing in the community on the streets of Houston with the homeless, chronically mentally ill. Another population. That's very challenging. And what happened is probably no surprise. I became burned out because my patients were chronically mentally ill. I I followed them to the missions and shelters. I followed them to tall buildings where they threatened to jump off. I would talk them down. They lived on the streets. I guess it was about 1998 that after A case I will never forget, one of my patient's sons was murdered, and he had become my patient. That's when I said, no, it's time to do something different. I started thinking about changing, just in so many ways, leaving nursing. I loved it. I still love it. But it was just too much for me, the areas I chose. And my pharmaceutical reps came to me and said, would you ever consider doing anything other than nursing? I said, I just graduated from a master's program that was really hard. No. And they said, just talk to our manager. And so that conversation ended up in me being a pharmaceutical representative. And I actually came to move. I left Houston. I moved to Austin, Texas. I took my whole family. And their grandmother, my kid's grandmother, we moved to Austin, Texas. We did not know anyone there. And I just started. Okay. That was my first introduction to oh. healthcare that was not heresy. I was in the business of selling pharmaceutical products and I sold psychiatric
0: products. So I talked to the same audience. I want to dive into that definitely, but I still want to stay with the story that you just described. So I wonder, did the fact that you were working as a nurse in the war, do you think that had an impact in you pursuing a psychiatric degree? It probably did, but I didn't
1: realize it at that point. I made no connection during those years between me going to war Coming back, just resuming my pace, going back to school, working, juggling my life in that way. I just didn't get it at Mm -hmm. that time. I I couldn't make the connections. But looking back in hindsight, I believe it had a dramatic effect Mm -hmm. uh, of me trying to understand the things Mm -hmm. that happened to me halfway across the world. Trying to understand all the death I saw and suffering. And what was my role going to be going forward? What kind of person was I going to be? I, now I, I could say those things,
0: but during those years, I I didn't perceive uh, reality. I am really, you know, curious to see to hear from you as a um, an expert in psychiatric disorders how do you reflect on that period, especially. Uh, In today's time where the pandemic keeps on going, it just doesn't end. We knew that this is going to have massive mental health impacts on people. Already when the pandemic started, we're much better equipped maybe than we were 30 years ago in at least being aware that society as a whole has a problem. And today it's very normal that soldiers, after they leave war, that they get some counseling for their uh, mental well being. Yes. How do you see the current state of the world and especially healthcare and nursing, given the crisis that we're in and the mental health effect that it has?
1: I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to organize this succinct answer? I can best answer it from my experience. I did not know that some things from the war were lingering inside of me and bothering. It was 10 years later, I met a wonderful clinician, a psychologist at a community mental health clinic, and she told me, you have post-traumatic stress disorder from your war experience. And I said, no, that's not me. <laughs> I don't have that. And she and I was a mental health professional. I was so used to pushing on, driving forward, not have taken a mental health break. There was no such thing as a mental health break. And I can bring that mindset to the present. I don't do that anymore. During the pandemic, I did very strategic projects that would allow me to get out there in the public because I know the public was hurting. In ways that we weren't even talking about, in terms of the stress levels in homes, the creeping mental illness that was around the, the creepy mental illness that was around the corner—depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress—I knew all those things. Not only were they out there, but they weren't going anywhere, and they're still there. Society, American society, and I'm sure in other countries as well is very stressed out, but we don't call it out. I do because I've experienced a very high level of stress and I've worked these 30 years since I returned from the Middle East to be able to identify my stress and anxiety level and manage it. When it gets out of hand, I, I am not hesitant to get help, but most people have not been through this chronic type pandemic situation and it causes a lot of distress that's not addressed. I am very concerned and when I meet people my first question is usually how are you doing with everything that's going on? Most of the time I'm listening for acknowledgement that I'm off balance. I'm stressed whatever words they use but many times very concerning to me people don't they say, I'm fine. I'm okay. And I know they're not. And so that's the best answer I can give. Being a per- past person that said, I'm fine. I'm okay. And I was not. I didn't find out that I was not until 10 years later. I, I just pray that is not the trajectory for people around the world. I hope that there will be resources, an abundance of resources around the world for people to embrace and just talk about how they feel, if they need additional coping skills, whatever, just to try to
0: return back to being as close to whole as possible. Do you think that we've at least learned to honestly say that we're not okay when we, we're we asked if we're okay or not? Or that it's it's also, I think it's also very challenging to have a proper response if somebody does decide to say no i'm not doing okay yes
1: yes you have to have done a lot of work on yourself in certain environments if you're in a professional environment we're seeing it let's let's just use some national international examples Uh, naomi osaka she's my hero this brilliant young lady tennis player evidently some of the Press had crossed the line with her. She was going through some things. I don't know what, but she's stopped. I'm not doing it anymore. I was like, what courage for a young woman to know herself enough to say, I don't care what the cost is. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of my mental health because that's the only way I can go on. That's the only way I can go on. And I love the people and the organizations that wrap themselves around her and and just gave her that space. But I don't think that's the way I haven't seen much of that. You're expected if you work somewhere, if you're in a family, certain kinds of families, if you're doing whatever, you are expected to hold it all together all the time. Look like you're holding it together. Hold it together and hold it together tighter. It's just not easy for us men and women to express some level of vulnerability. There's been a lot of studies on this. But to those that can and have been able to transcend, not even worrying about what other people think, but just knowing that they're off balance and and striving to get back to their balance, Those people fare well, but those people are not in the majority. And so people will try to even hush me when I say now, today, 30 years later, I believe in therapy. I believe in treatment. If you have a problem, reach out for help to get yourself back to the way you know you are and or you want to be. But many people don't subscribe to that way of doing things. Some people just suck it in, hold it in, and you see them falling apart in your face, in your in your presence. So I don't know if in a, in a roundabout way I'd answer the question, but my answer is no. I don't think we're doing a good job letting people express that they're not okay. And I wouldn't expect anybody to be okay right now with what we've been through since March of 2020 all around the world. If your country... Is not having a, a crisis. Somebody else's country is, and I think you should have empathy for those people because in two months it could be you. And we need to do what we can to help each other
0: throughout this world get through this. This is like, mm-hmm. we've never have never seen anything like this. I guess one of the the upsides is that we are opening. The topics of mental health, there's a lot of innovation happening uh, in the digital health space, in the VR space, but we're not going to dive into those today because we have another technological topic to address today. And that's uh, kind of so healthcare, IT and cybersecurity. You. Uh, graduated from healthcare IT in 2010. So can you tell me how did you then go from being a nurse, from focusing on mental health, from being a sales rep for the pharmaceutical industry to then pursuing healthcare IT? I was searching for something. I,
1: I did never wanted to abandon nursing, but I did not want to do nursing a certain way. And we had to do something else where I could use my nursing education and experience, but not do a lot of the nursing things that nurses have to do. Nurses work hard. It's body, mind, and spirit is involved. And I just wanted to break from that. And so I live in Houston, Texas, which is home to the largest medical center in the United States. And One of the entities in the medical center is a university system called the University of Texas. I am a graduate from uh, the University of Texas School of Nursing, where I earned my master's in psychiatric mental health nursing and adult health uh, nursing. But across the street from our school is the School of Biomedical Informatics, which is today healthcare IT. So with me passing it by every day, I just started wondering, what's in there? What are they talking about? I've never heard of that, Health see, So I went in there. And the next thing you know, I was enrolled because I love learning, obviously. And I thought at that time, I think I went in 2009, I graduated in 2010. I thought things were going to open up for me. When people saw that I had a postgraduate certificate, not in nursing, but in something Related to healthcare care and nursing, but in when i t was on the back of that line, I, I thought things would open up. I would be offered some of the jobs i was i saw I read about in magazines nothing, nothing and this is around the time when we're starting up conversations about electronic health records, electronic medical records, digitization of records and. I just knew I would be pivoting somewhere. It didn't happen, and so I never gave up on that, and that's why I think when i when the opportunity came to me to touch cybersecurity, which I consider myself in healthcare cybersecurity, I just fell into it. I just ran to it because I was looking for something else. Mm-hmm. And it it was such a great fit. And people say, how as a nurse, even in class, I, I started my cybersecurity career with 19-year-olds at a community college. They're like, why are you in here? You're a nurse. That's, you want me in here. Because I bring value to this environment because of what I know, what I've learned, all of my experiences. I bring value to every cybersecurity team. And that's how I got.
0: That's how I got to this point. Yeah, you have a, definitely a good understanding of how the healthcare environment works and where the threats may lie, especially today when there's an increasing amount of technology available and present in the healthcare environment. Just reflecting on that uh, a, a little bit, uh, what do you see as the biggest uh, challenges in? cybersecurity in healthcare at the moment. That's a hugely very broad question that we can expand. It's quite
1: easy. People. People that just don't know. It's <laughs> like the blue like me. I, I was volunteering as a photojournalist at a military conference in twenty eighteen, taking some pictures and helping with people sit down at the events and whatnot and they had a job fair. So I went downstairs to the job fair. They had this tech company called Rackspace, and they were a database company out of uh, San Antonio, Texas. And so I went to their booth. I said, Hey, I, I have a healthcare IT postgraduate certificate. I would like to do something in healthcare IT. I'm a nurse. And they said, Okay, great. What would you like to do? I said, I'm not sure. Tell me about your programs. And they said, okay, first tell us what your credentials are. I said, I just told you I'm a registered nurse with a postgraduate. And they said, what certifications do you have? I said, I'm a registered nurse. <laughs> they said, okay, we know what to do. They said, they gave me a, a, a website. They said, apply on this website. We have a school that's free and we'll teach you more about technology because they realized quickly I didn't know anything about IT networking and IT security. I didn't know I didn't know what a script candy was. I didn't know what ransomware was. I just knew how to get on the computer and use it. So I immediately that night I applied. The next day I was interviewed and that was a Friday, Monday, I was back in the city where I was volunteering and class. And I went to a five day IT networking boot camp. I sat in the front row. I leaned in. The third day in the morning, I dropped out. Because I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. <laughs> I didn't know the words. I didn't know the ecosystem. I didn't know the landscape. I said, I cannot. If they, I had this big book, networking. I thought it was like, you just go somewhere and you have a couple drinks and get some refreshments and food and talk to people. But it was about IT network and it was about the OSI model. It was about ports and all this kind of stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot learn this in one week. And I said, I'm going to go back to Houston and I'm going to learn IT networking at a slower pace. And I told the professor, I said, I'll be back. A year later, I came back to take two more classes from him and I had Passed my IT networking fundamentals course, but that's how I got in cyber, and I just became, I just fell in love with it because one, the opportunity; two, the fact that they didn't have any nurses. Nurses, we are just so valuable to any team because we understand people, we understand health, I understand mental health. Then, with my military experience, I was very versed in keeping people's secrets, my patients, within my medical experience. I was versed in securing property and equipment, and keeping people safe. And so the only difference in cybersecurity was the language. That's what I'm learning now. I'm just learning the language, and I'm learning the techniques and whatnot. But it's not foreign to me. When I was in the military, it was less than 3% women in the military in the early 80s. So I was used to being in a male-dominated environment. So cybersecurity doesn't intimidate me by there being more men. because Women are growing in the field. So all of those things drew me to cybersecurity. And I am excited that it is field that I can bring everything to. I can bring my healthcare experience, my business experience, my experience as a military veteran. And now my technology education. And to help solve problems.
0: I actually wanted to ask you about the, the combination of skills that you had, because I remember that I was looking at a webinar about the 19 year hospital that was set up in the UK right after COVID hit. It was a, a new hospital that was built uh, inside of a stadium, also with the help of the Army. And one of the things that clinicians commented on uh, was that it was very insightful to work side by side with the military personnel because the army is used to setting things up and moving fast. They have strict protocols which makes them agile and mobile. They were also very open to searching workarounds and solutions to problems. So they were able to standardize everything very quickly and properly. So whenever you had a new person joining the hospital, they were able to be onboarded very quickly. So how do you see, based on your experiences, the interplay of skills that help you when it comes to cybersecurity counseling?
1: exactly like you said when i was in the desert and for many years we would just put up a, a field hospital in any field and we would literally when i was in saudi arabia we had to build a hospital we really did we would just work day and night to get the hospital built i worked in the medical intensive care unit so of course we had a lot of medical equipment we had to bring in when we were supplied equipment and just taking care of patients It had to be up by a certain time. So if that meant you didn't sleep, you didn't sleep. We also had ancillary duties. Like I had to stand guard duty. I had to guard the perimeter of the campsite, just like other people were out there with me out in front of the campsite, making sure that no... Uh, hostile enemies were trying to kill us or steal or do something negative towards the, the service members and, our, and sabotage our mission, of helping to heal troops that were wounded. I don't even think twice about it. It's just what you have to do. Get it done, get it going. That's just the army way. So of course the army helped me to integrate increasingly, seamlessly into the cybersecurity world, because a lot of those people uh, also came out of the various branches of the military.
0: So how do you observe the current state of cybersecurity in healthcare? It's getting uh, increasingly tense because of various sorts of reasons. On the one hand, cybersecurity breaches or just working on the other side is very profitable. It's a sensitive industry, so even though the recommendations are to not pay ransoms, hospitals do pay them. What's your general uh, observation about how things are changing? My general observation was, over three years ago, get into cybersecurity
1: and see how you can help. I'm talking to myself. I know I have a lot of skills from the military, from being the oldest of three, from being a nurse for 34 years. From being a small business owner, from going from someone that did not know what IT networking was to now finishing graduate studies in that area. I want to be is a valuable team member on the cybersecurity team as a consultant that brings what I know about people, uh, about processes uh, to the table, uh, about problem-solving some of my military lessons some of my lessons from being a mom whatever i have i can bring it to cybersecurity what i am not excited about is the fact that healthcare is like one of the last dinosaurs in terms of uh, updating some of the legacy systems that healthcare entities have around the world and it's not good because hackers are getting more and more ruthless and creative we've had some big breaches lately solar winds government agencies fortune you know 100 500 companies and and it doesn't matter they don't care they just are after what they're after the hackers they want the money people are paying because there's been a few case studies where people have died because the institution did not choose to pay there's my goal is specifically is to work with medical device security. The embedded medical devices in people, especially for uh, elderly people or people that have mental illness or mental retardation and have these devices to help them understand to the best of their ability how to keep these devices secure and to keep their physical state, whatever it may be, diabetes, et cetera, just at a a, a level not in a chronic state or keep their defibrillators working IOT devices in the home in the clinics in the hospitals we have to keep them secure
0: because we have all these access points that are very dangerous what would be your top three recommendations for healthcare institutions when it comes to how to increase cyber security so what would your top three recommendations be
1: Number one, cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility. It's yours. It's mine. And you say, I'm not training. There are certain things. One, you can create a secure password or a passphrase. It should be at least over 12 characters. It shouldn't be something, a name or your child's name or something that's easily remembered. Two, a multi-factor authentication. Maybe some people don't have a phone. But if you have two ways of authenticating that access, you, are who you say you are uh, hackers, they're going to go for the lowest hanging fruit. And three, perhaps the most important, if there's no one to train you on how to keep your home, your job, or your personal network, your personal phone safe, train yourself. Train yourself for your own business benefit and your family's benefit. in all my classes, my professors and the courses I'm paying for they send us to YouTube sites to get information. If you have access to a computer and you have a certain brand of a phone, read on your computer what that manufacturer says, how you can make your phone safe. Don't use your hotspot and on network and connect to networks that you're not fully sure, are secure. I advocate using, at least for most people, business people, a VPN. They're affordable. You can get software VPNs for like dollars, two or three dollars. At least it's the first line of defense. And so there's things that everybody can do. I I work with small businesses in my nonprofit organization, women veteran-owned small businesses, and these are the things I share with them. Don't try to run away from the training at work or just training that is coming from somewhere on how to keep yourself, your private network your your employment network and your personal network and that includes your home, your car, your apple watch, all of those things. Anything on the network, your coffee pot could potentially be hacked at least be aware of the basic most basic of terms because you don't want to be a victim. You don't want to be a victim. You don't want to be a victim. It's it's not a pretty picture. Be you a large metropolitan hospital or three people working in a medical office on the east side of town. You don't want to be a victim. It's too hard to recover. And over 60% of small businesses do not recover from a breach.
0: Mm-hmm. So if we move kind of those recommendations into the healthcare environment where it's always busy, especially now it's increasingly busy, people are burned out, and then you've got the IT systems that require passwords and logins over and over again, and it's, I guess... From that perspective, you can understand where the lack of carefulness comes yeah, from. And
1: and it's a stressful environment. I worked in it for years, but I don't want to be the person, like the person that was the third-party vendor that that, bre- that caused the breach for Target. I don't want to be that employee. You understand what I'm saying? Don't be that employee. Don't be that small business Do everything you can do. If you have an antivirus program, make sure that it stays updated. Make sure you patch it. You keep up with all your updates. If you're you're supposed to turn your computer off, if you leave your desk, turn your computer off, power power it all the way down. Don't give anyone your password. There's things every individual can do. One of the reasons for the tragedies that we've heard about in healthcare organizations is just it all goes back to people. It just goes back to people. Some people don't take the 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 anti-phishing, anti-ransomware training seriously. It's very serious. You don't want to have that on your conscience that you were the employee that clicked on the email that had, that downloaded the malware. You don't want to be that person. You don't want anybody to be that person, but you especially don't want it to be you. So it really mm-hmm. does go down to uh, one person. And for bigger organizations, find a way to negotiate with some of these IT companies so that you can have a security policy, number one, that's effective for your organization. And number two, a security posture where you have levels of defense against getting breached. And just keep talking to people. There's all kinds of organizations in the United States, in our communities, even our U.S. Small Business Administration, which has served on an advisory committee with the U.S. SBA years ago. They are even addressing cybersecurity for businesses, small businesses and others. And so there are tools out here. There is options Spend a little extra time to look to see what you can do to keep yourself, your home, the people you love, and your employment setting safe. I think that should be everybody's responsibility.
0: I'm speechless. The only thing that comes to my mind is to, again, browse through through YouTube for basic advice (laughs) on cybersecurity. But it's true. There's definitely a lot of useful information there. It it is. It is. We have
1: cybersecurity organizations, the National Security Organization. We have CISA. We have NIST. We have numerous organizations. And, And for me, because I consider myself a cybersecurity professional now, I am in three or more women in cybersecurity organizations. And so women aren't in cybersecurity. They've been in cybersecurity for many years. And if you don't want to, if you're the kind of person, you don't want to deal with an organization that's primarily male, look for one of the Women in Cybersecurity Organizations, Women in Cybersecurity is the name of one I'm in, Uh, Women in Security and Privacy. There's numerous ones. And if you just can get to their website, they have wonderful trainings that are free. Just take a little time out on a weekend or whenever you have time to just read about some of the things you can do, because it's not just each of us individually. It's our family members. It's our job environments. If you have do things in your community, you want to keep those organizations safe, because we have to talk about this. Safety requires us to talk about this. If I go to a store, I want to know, what are you doing to keep your network at the store safe? It's nothing wrong with having that conversation. Because what if I go to a store and I happen to jump on somebody's network and it's compromised? Then I'm compromised. So it behooves us to really think beyond ourselves and encourage everyone to take phishing, to take these ransomware attacks, and just learn a little bit about the types of malware. Because you can just be sitting in a room with someone or at an airport and they can hack into your phone. Or your tablet, if you don't have it protected. And these are the things I learned. Remember, I, I do a, a, a session called Tales of a Clueless Cybersecurity Student. <laughs> that's what I was, that's when I started. <laughs> I did not know anything. If you don't know what a script kitty is, please look it up. Script kitty. It's something that just for a few dollars could ruin your life. And we just need to know these basic things that are out there that can hurt us.
0: You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. To learn more about the show, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. Stay tuned.